Tradition tells us that in the year 340 A.D., the bishop Athanasius had been exiled. He had been accused falsely of Trinitarian disbelief, that he didn't understand and had made confession in some of the recent heresies that had taken place. Well, in his exile, he began to write, and he wrote a confession that he came back to meet with Pope Julius I and gave to him a statement of belief that he did, in fact, hold to the true faith. It became known as the Athanasian Creed. In medieval times, in the Western church especially, it was often used on the festival of Trinity, recited in the liturgy. It begins like this, in these words. Whosoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith, which faith except everyone do keep whole and undefiled, without doubt he shall perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence. That's just the beginning. It's a long document. And in the Eastern Church, it was never used as part of the liturgy to be recited. It was, in fact, a teaching document to teach about who the Trinity is. And so today, I'm going to follow the Eastern tradition, and we are not going to recite the whole thing. It is, in fact, a confession, though, of what Scripture implies about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I say implied because we see those glimpses in Scripture. In fact, we heard one today in the Gospel reading when Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Jesus isn't using the imperial we. What he's talking about is plurality in that Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the witness of God to the world. We see that revealed, implied in these words and many other places in this confession of the Trinity. Well, there is another confession today that I would like to focus on. It is by the member of that Jewish ruling council, that select group known as the Sanhedrin. His name was Nicodemus, a member of what was also known as the 6,000, the Brotherhood of the 6,000, who was steeped in the law and knew what the law demanded and tried to live in order that they might usher in the messianic era. He comes to Jesus at night so that no one will see him to avoid open detection. And he says to Jesus as he greets him this, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus made a confession in that statement. Who they, who he believes Jesus is. And it's interesting because the very next verse, Jesus retorts with these words, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. It seems a strange interchange in a conversation that's happening. 
But what Jesus is saying, in fact, to Nicodemus is this. Unless a person is born again of water and the Spirit, they cannot see past the signs, past the miracles, past the good works to who I truly am, the God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You notice Nicodemus greets Jesus. He uses the title rabbi, simply teacher. He doesn't use the title that we see so often in the Gospels where someone greets him as Lord, those who have faith in Jesus Christ. That's a Greek word that is the word kurios, from where we get the word kyrie in the Latin, Lord, have mercy. It is also the word that was used whenever the scribes would come together to translate the Hebrew into Greek for those who were in different parts of the world who wanted a copy of the scriptures in their community. They would use that word kurios, kyrie, Lord, to translate the word in Hebrew, Yahweh. You see, when that confession is made of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, those people know who he is. They are acknowledging that he is one with the Father, that he, in fact, is the Lord. And Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus to say, you must be born again in order to understand who I truly am. And Nicodemus responds, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born again. You see, Nicodemus simply couldn't see who Jesus was, couldn't see what Jesus had come to do for the world. And so often, isn't that true of us? We miss God's work in our world. We miss God's work behind the scenes. We miss God's important work and what he is constantly doing for us. There's a story of a man who came home from work one day. As he got out of his car, he noticed that his children were in the front yard, still in their pajamas, playing in the mud. There were food wrappers strewn and toys all over the front yard. The garage door was open and other toys were still in that garage. He walked up to the front porch and found the door wide open. He walked into his house, and as he walked in, he saw a table knocked over and a lamp on the floor. Toys again everywhere in the house. He went into the kitchen only to find a stack of dirty dishes still in the sink. Food on the table falling to the floor, mud and sand near the back door. He began to panic, wondered if something had happened to his wife. He made his way upstairs again, trying to get around toys that were all over the stairs into the bedroom to find his wife in some desperation, worried what might have happened to her. He entered the bedroom and found her still in her pajamas, sitting in a lounge chair, reading a novel. He said to her, what happened here today? And she said, well, dear, you know how every day when you come home from work, you ask me what I did today? Yes, he said. Well, today I didn't do it. <laughs> how true, though, isn't of us that we miss all that God is doing behind those seeds, that we never see or acknowledge or give him glory for all that we receive and all that we have, for his continuous involvement in his creation, 
which if he wasn't would result in simple chaos. But more than his work in creation, how often do we miss his most important work? Jesus said then to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. I'm sure this was even more confusion for Nicodemus. How could an event in Israel's past be something that gives eternal life now? Certainly in that time, through Moses forming that bronze serpent and raising it up on the pole, God had given a cure to the people of Israel. But eternal life? You know, so often I wonder, as we hear those words, if in our lives we tend so much to forget, as I said, that work of God in Jesus Christ, and we deal often in our lives with what I would call snake bites. We miss the true purpose. You know, there's one of our favorite movies that we watch at Christmas time. It's a Wonderful Life. I'm sure many of you watch it also. And there's a scene in that movie where George Bailey, played by Jimmy Stewart, comes home to find one of his daughters sick in bed because she protected a flower she was given at school that day. But the cold has penetrated the flowers and the outer leaves have fallen off. She's devastated and she looks at George Bailey and she says, Fix it, Daddy. Paste it. Make it all right again. You see, that's what I mean in our dealing with snake bites. So often we look at God and we ask for a cure. We ask for something to be fixed. Fix it, Jesus. This isn't going right. I've put myself in a situation that I've made wrong. I need you to rescue me. Get me out of this predicament. And we fail to remember what Jesus came into this world to do for each one of us. God is involved in our lives, and he does answer prayer. He does give help, aid, and counsel to us when we need it. But Jesus came into this world for more than just that. Not just simply to fix a problem, but to make a total life transformation for us. A transformation that results in our saying, Lord, Kurios, Yahweh, I have sinned. Have mercy on me. Rescue me. Heal me. And Jesus said, as the Son of Man is lifted up, so he referred to his cross. The cross was not just a fix for a moment that we're having in life, but it was, in fact, a tree that was lifted up over the whole earth that every person might see that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe, and have eternal life. You know, there's a story about a car being stolen in California at one time. Just a simple car, but the police put an all-out search for it. The car wasn't that valuable, but they asked radio stations to let everyone know to look for this car to find it. They were desperate that this car would be found. The reason was because on the seat in that car, on the passenger seat, the owner of the car had placed a box of saltine crackers. It wasn't that simple. Those saltine crackers had been laced with poison. He was taking them to his barn to trap and kill rats. But the thief didn't know that. 
the police were desperate not to apprehend the thief, to punish him for what he had done in stealing the car, but to find him, to get him so that he might not eat those crackers and end up dead. They wanted to rescue him. So it is that Jesus came into our world not to find us and to punish us, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He came to rescue us, to keep us from death, to give us eternal life. Nicodemus represented a system in that day, a system of self-salvation through action. The problem with self-salvation is just like that thief, it eludes rescue when rescue is offered. How many people do we know in our lives who elude being rescued by Jesus Christ, who are satisfied with self-salvation, satisfied with improvements of character, of life, satisfied with simply fixes, and not transformation by the power of Almighty God in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus didn't come in order to be just a rabbi to teach us the right way to God. Jesus came as God, the source of life who spoke in the darkness. Let there be light to give us, in fact, life. We enter that life through death through his death on a cross that kills our self-salvation, that kills our wantonness for something else, for another plan, that we might see who Jesus truly is. We enter that life through the water, the waters of baptism, being born again, no longer of earthly flesh, but of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, who gives us new life who places the name on us, that we are the redeemed of God, children forever adopted into the family, a transforming life because we are connected to the eternal, that true and living God. May we ever, as we worship the Trinity, remember always that Jesus Christ, the Father and the Son, have worked through eternity to redeem every one of us. And by the cross where Jesus was lifted up, giving his life, not just simply the death of a human being, but the death of Almighty God to redeem us, to take away our sin, to give us forgiveness and life in his name, that we might be saved eternally. Will you pray with me? Lord, open our eyes of faith once again to see all the wonders you have done for us. Help us always to remember in our lives the wonder of our salvation above all that cost everything to you. Help us see with wonder once again that you as the true and living God were able to do all things in order that we might be yours forever. And let us, Lord, stand in that faith and that confession that all may hear, may know, and be saved by you. We ask this in your name. Amen.